the la la hitcha. Lyrics just fit ya. Head so hard that your hat can't fit ya. Either I'm with ya or against ya. Format bent ya. Back through that maze I sent ya. Talking to the rap inventor. Nigga with the game type gift that flame right. Spell my name right. B-I-double-G-I-E. What up, everybody? Welcome to our conference finals preview show, episode 34. What up, Benny? I can't believe we're over halfway through the playoffs already. I know. It's been flying. Everything that's happened, it's it's crazy. Um, and it's un- great for, for the NHL to kind of dick us over with starting game one of the Eastern Conference final the day after game seven of the uh, Blues. Uh, sorry, the Sharks Avalanche game seven, giving us no time to get a preview out there before game one. Yeah, I mean, the NHL sometimes when it comes to scheduling is an absolute joke, and that's exactly what that was. Like, Because the other thing was this, and it kind of drove me crazy. If the Celtics had won Wednesday night, they would have played Friday night, which I understand would have messed up the scheduling and Friday night would not be available, so on and so forth. But at the same time, before that San Jose-Colorado game had started, the Celtics had already lost, so you easily could have made that game tonight, Friday. But they didn't want to, or whatever it is, scheduling conflict. It's a little crazy to me. I think they could be a little bit better, or wait before they already pull triggers and things like that, because they scheduled the game for Thursday. There's no hockey tonight at all. Then you have St. Louis in San Jose tomorrow, Saturday, and then the Bruins at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, Mother's Day. Like, yeah, that's going to get high viewership on that one. Yeah, like, I don't get it. Whatever. I mean, hats off, the Gary Bettman. You did it again. The only thing I can think of is the NHL backed themselves into a corner and told Carolina and Boston that game one was going to be Thursday night. And even though they knew that the Celtics lost, both teams kind of game plan their travel and practices around that uh, information that the NHL gave them. So I think changing it at the last moment, uh, the teams wouldn't have been happy, but maybe just leave it potentially open depending on what happens with the Celtics instead of making it definite. Yeah. I mean, another day, then you get a media day in the Western teams get another day in between. Like, I think it would have been fine, but what do I know? I'm just a basement podcaster. Like, you know, that's that's it, pal. I, I kind of want to keep this theme going of talking about the NHL and uh, screwing things up. We'll get to the San Jose Sharks, St. Louis Blues uh, conference final preview. But first, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, maybe not so much controversial as much as uh, inane offside ruling against Gabriel Landeskog in Game 7 that nullified uh, that goal from, I think it was Colin Wilson, and then the Avalanche ended up losing by one. I think we've talked about a lot this postseason and just in general with playoff hockey that there's a lot of momentum swings. And talk about one that would be completely in your favor and you could possibly put San Jose on the ropes a little bit, kind of on their toes. You get the rug swept out from underneath you. It's a tough call. I mean, you feel bad. We both pre- predicted Colorado would win. And I don't know how we felt. I think we both said 
in our heads we're thinking Han- San Jose is going to win, but for whatever reason our heart was saying Colorado. And yeah, Colorado pushed that series to seven games. And hats off to them. You could see a lot of respect in the handshake line for a lot of those younger guys on Colorado who they now have two rounds of playoff experience. And they were yet again an offside disallowed goal away from what could have been conference final experience. So I think next year going into it, they don't have anything to hang their hat on. Well, I don't think that's the right way. Or hang their hat low or hang their heads low, whatever the fuck. Yeah, hang their heads. But um, I think next year they could possibly be in a lot better standing in that central division going into the playoffs. And so could Dallas, too. I mean, maybe this is where things start to change and Winnipeg and Nashville start falling off a little bit next year. Granted, we will cover that in our over the summer each division preview, but definitely tough. Heart wrenching. I mean, you never want to put the game in the officials' hands ever. And does the NHL over review things lately? Sure. I think people could complain all playoffs that there's a lot of time spent on the camera and the iPad and the headsets, and I get it and I want calls to be right, that's tough, man. Yeah, I mean, the the ruling itself technically followed the rule and interpreted the rule correctly. So it's not so much that the referee screwed up here. Uh, my counterpoint is basically two-tiered. The first one is they need to review... If they're going to allow offsides to be reviewable moving forward... I think they need to adjust the rule a little bit because none of these rules have been updated to keep up with the uh, change in technology and the coach's challenge and things like that. I feel like once a player basically gives himself up in a play, Langus was at the bench. You can get on him all you want for not just hopping over the boards uh, in a game seven and trying to be polite and go through the the door that's hanging over the blue line all you want. I'm perfectly okay with that. You should know better. But he gave himself up from a play. He's not involved. He's not even, his back is turned uh, to the rest of the rink. I feel like that rule should be updated to where once a player gives himself up in a play, he's no longer impacting play. The puck doesn't hit him. He doesn't stay on the ice, make it like a, he doesn't change his mind. That's not offside. It's not like, he was going to impact the play at all on that goal anyway. So I think the NHL needs to spend part of this summer updating some of the rules because of the change in technology and with the coach challenge. Two, I saw on Twitter, I think it was, uh, I can't really pronounce Wisniewski, Greg Wisniewski, Puck Daddy. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure everybody that listens to this podcast knows who Puck Daddy is. Yeah. He tweeted out, there was this very similar play, I think it was in Columbus, earlier this season, where a guy, a coach challenged a goal because of an offside where a guy was going for a line change, was going through the door, same, almost exact same play as Linus Cock. And the referee said the goal was good. And then the NHL went out of their way to explain after that why the goal was good according to the rule. But then in Game 7, for a chance to go to the conference final, it's a completely different ruling on the ice and by the league. So... That's my only issue with it. There's pretty much no consistency. 
we're hoping that later on over the summer when people's schedules open up, um, we're hoping to get an NHL video coach on who they have ex- access to this technology in the coach's room. And, I mean, I'm just curious as to their thoughts on it. Like, in, in that exact play, we'll ask them that exact play and how they feel it should be called and so on and so forth. Or if they have to be forthright and go with the rule book as well and say, well, technically he's on the ice and, yeah, tough shit. I mean, definitely unfortunate. Sucks. I mean, that that's your captain. That's your captain that's getting called back on. Brutal. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I saw that live, I was just like, holy shit, he was taking a lazy change, and if they lose by one, he's going to get blasted for potentially costing his team their season because of that change, which was just a ridiculous situation to be in based on the rule and the coach challenge and all that. But uh, like you said, Colorado should be back next year. Uh, Tyson Jost looked good. Uh, Comfort looked good. Uh, you have their top line, Cal McCarr fit right in doesn't seem like he needs much of an adjustment period and they'll have Grubauer in that for the next two seasons under contract so uh, I think they're heading in the right direction in terms of San Jose and St. Louis I guess what are some of the storylines you're looking out for Uh, what are some areas where you can see an advantage that leans either way Uh, and who do you think for either team would be a difference maker that casual fans might not be aware of San Jose is lighting it up right now that offense and the points that are being shed out all around absolute insanity let's go through here this is just playoff points Logan Couture is second in the league to Brad Marchand but Hurdle and Couture are tied at 14 in points Couture leads the league with nine goals and Hurdle also has nine they're identical nine goals five assists for each of them then you go down to fifth in the league playoff points. Brent Burns, 14 points, five goals, nine assists for a D-man. Oh, who's eighth in the league? Oh, you know, the other D-guy with 12 assists, Eric Carlson. Like, it is coming in waves for them. And I think St. Louis's D is very good. Very good. But they're going to have to wait. They're going to have to find a way to weather the storm. And it's not going to be easy. I'm nervous in certain aspects for I know Jordan Bennington does not look nervous, does not. With that, there's there's a couple of things, though. He's played 13 games already, eight, eight wins, five losses. So so series are stretching a little bit longer with him than I believe they anticipated. Currently. Uh, 0.915 save percentage, 2.39 goals against. So he's almost at two and a half a game. Is your offense going to be good enough to beat them? Hopefully. Um, Martin Jones, 9.10 save percentage, 2.72 goals against. If the Martin Jones that has played lately shows up, I think the goaltending kind of neutralizes itself. Uh-huh. I believe that St. Louis's defense is better than San Jose's as a whole. I know that San Jose has Carlson and Burns, but outside of them, production-wise, it's been a little ugly. Vlasic has kind of been their best defender, and that is, I mean, 
Pickles. For, yeah, for him to be your best defender, I think that's not good going this time of the year. With it, I think St. Louis's offense is finally starting to come together a little bit. It's scary that they had to go to that game seven overtime, and they were the better team that game for sure. But once it gets to overtime, I mean, one shot, you can go home. I mean, Jamie Benn and uh, Ruhe Hintz almost scored individually on two different uh, wraparounds that barely was kept out by Bennington. Yeah, and is that nerves on the rookie? I don't know. Um, it, it's just a little scary, man, because I just rattled off all those people up top for San Jose. The first one for St. Louis in points, Jaden Schwartz, eight goals, three assists for 11 points. After that, you drop down to their D guy, Alex Patriangelo, two goals, nine assists for 11 points. <coughs> Excuse me. And then after that, I mean, it drops off for a while there. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be relying a lot on the depth part of it. And they play as a whole team, whereas I think San Jose relies a lot more on their other guys. And I know they've had contributions lately from Hurdle and LeBanc and Meyer. So they're top six, I guess we could call it their top six. But outside of that, I mean, St. Louis team-wise, I think plays a lot better than San Jose as a team. <coughs> I don't know what just happened. I get like, <laughs> whatever it is. But anywho, if we're getting into predictions, I'm going with St. Louis in seven. That's what okay. my... My head's telling me, my heart's telling me San Jose in seven. I just have this feeling that if Jumbo Joe's going to win a cup, he has to win it through the Bruins. So I don't know where I stand. That's, yeah, St. Louis in seven. <laughs> Who do you think, I guess on St. Louis' side, since you're choosing them to win a series in seven, Outside of, I guess, Petrangelo and Schwartz, their top two producers, at least so far in the playoffs, who do you think will step up? And who do you think needs to step up since you noted that they've been having a lack of production offensively over the long haul in the playoffs? I think on the D side of things, I think Petrangelo, Lowe, and Perenko. I was like mixing them both together as I was saying that. I think you're going to see a lot of good things from Pareko. I think he's going to have a great series. Offensively, I know it's not, I'm not saying it just because he scored the overtime goal in game seven, but I think Patrick Maroon here can be a difference maker on and off the score sheet. He's a very big body. He's very chirpy. There was a couple of NHL videos of him chirping, uh, Jamie Ben and Sagan in warmups. I think he can be effective in a role, and whether it's being hard on a forecheck, whether it's banging in a rebound, whether it's chirping certain guys on and off the ice, I think he's going to be a difference maker. So Patrick Maroon, the hometown boy who went home for a discount, who scored the Game 7 overtime winner to send his boys to the conference finals, will score another Game 7 overtime winner. I got to say, just talking about St. Louis for a second, 
and hometown kids. Where is Don Draper in all this here? John Hamm has been a longtime St. Louis Blues fan. He's done broadcasts on their local TV network, like as a just popping in for a few minutes during games. He wear blue, wears blue jerseys all the time, talks about hockey. Is he that superstitious where he's staying away because they're going on a run? Because I haven't seen him at any of the games or on broadcast on TV or anything else like that. And, you know, you're you're eight wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. I don't care at that point. If I'm John Hamm, I'm going to every fucking game and getting a sweep. <laughs> I mean, on the other end, do you think it's kind of like it'll be like L.A., those cup years where magically the seats are just filled with all sorts of celebrities or he hasn't gone so like you said the superstition part of it he's like i'm not going now potentially i mean you had i know this different sport and everything else and jumping around a little bit but did you even know that paul rudd was a kansas city royals fan until he made it to the world series and then he was at every home game and showing on tv so if i'm johnny boy I'll look into it more, but he needs to show up. Don Draper needs to be at these home games in St. Louis to cheer the boys on. I agree. I mean, I I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to just see him now or in if they make it to the Cup final. Then yeah. it would be like, get your bandwagon ass out of here. <laughs> All right. So for me, I guess I'll talk about St. Louis first, San Jose, then go into like some answering my own questions. I just want to highlight where St. Louis came from. In January, on January 2nd, the St. Louis Blues were dead last in the NHL. They had a record of 15, 18, and 4, and they were 11 points out of a playoff spot. They had an 11% chance of just making the playoffs. Now they're eight wins away from winning the Stanley Cup final. They went 30, 10, and 5 in their final 45 games, which is a 118-point pace. Yeah, they struggled against Dallas, but Dallas's scheme and defensive system and really the emergence of a second line uh, and a continued play of Ben Bishop was more of a factor in that series than St. Louis being playing down to their opponent or not handling their business. So they were able to pull it out in seven games. Like you mentioned, overall, their defensive top six is better suited for a longer series than San Jose's. I mean, you have Dunn on the third line. I know Jay Baumeister at this point is just an anchor on a second line, Paranko. So I think very highly of Colton Paranko, just like you do, but I feel like he spends most of his time just playing the insurance policy for Baumeister on his left side. Uh, then you have Petrangelo and stuff on the top line. So when you compare that against guys like Braun, who had a nice game seven, Dylan, Vlasic, yeah, you have Carlson and Burns, but they're more for their offensive game than a defensive game. And one thing I've noticed, I don't know if it's because of his uh, leg injury that he suffered late in the season and he's still trying to get his uh, skates back underneath him or anything like that, but especially in game six and game seven against Colorado, Carlson is clutching and grabbing, he's hooking, he's holding, pulling onto back to jerseys to slow guys down around him. He's not really, he doesn't really have that explosive, explosive skating stride right now to keep up defensively. And he was able to get away with it a little bit against Colorado because he was basically playing second pair minutes, so they kind of sheltered him away from the McKinnon line when possible. That's not going to be a possibility for him against St. Louis, who can roll three sometimes even four productive lines 
where he's going to be sheltered. He's going to be facing guys like Schwartz, Steen, uh, Tarasenko, Thomas, Fabry, all those guys, Bozak, Perron. So he's not going to be able to be sheltered in that way. So I think that's one area that St. Louis can exploit a little bit is San Jose's defensive depth and also the potential Carlson playing at 75%, 80% of what he's normally up to. My concern is the goaltending. Bennington, he hasn't played poorly. He hasn't done anything to cost his team games, arguably. But Martin Jones came into the playoffs as, I think both of us ranked him as the worst starting goaltender based solely on this past regular season. And in our first round preview, I noted like his playoff history. And if, he, if San Jose can get that type of goaltending from him, it might be a different story for them, especially facing a team like Vegas. Well, they've gotten that. He has a 928 save percentage in seven of his last 10 starts. He's playing just like the Martin Jones of old, which kind of nullifies, like you mentioned, that goaltending advantage that St. Louis has had uh, in the first two rounds. I, St. Louis has been my team in, in a sense of like rooting for them, like Columbus in the East for the last half of the season once the Rangers started selling again at the deadline. I just can't get past the idea of San Jose having not clicked offensively as a whole the first two rounds up until game six and especially game seven at home. They have Pravelski back healthy, and you can see how much of a difference he makes because he missed the first six games of the second round, and they kind of look disjointed. Comes back for game seven, gets a goal and assist, and they utterly dominate puck possession time against Colorado. I just can't get past the idea of if Jones plays like he has been and San Jose having the offensive depth that they do, that San Jose is going to be able to really keep up when their second leading scorer is Alex Petrangelo on the back end. And I don't know if that's just me underselling St. Louis's team and their system and their kind of quote-unquote identity, or if San Jose just hasn't clicked yet and they were still able to muscle it to a, a conference final appearance. That's interesting. I, I didn't. I, I never put it that way. I was just thinking as a whole. But yeah, I mean, if San Jose is finally starting to click now, like it took them two rounds to start clicking. I mean, this series could be over in four games. Like, if it all comes together, I don't see that being the case. I mean, I, I see it being a long, deep series. But it's a scary thought that that's a possibility. Also and scary. The other thing I wanted to hit on... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. I just want to say quickly, again, intangibles. You can see how much the boys in a room, not only for Pavelski when he got hurt and that great Game 7 comeback against Vegas and how they kept their heads afloat until his return in Game 7. You can see now that it's within, basically, within their reach to get to the Stanley Cup Final, potential Stanley Cup Championship, what they're trying to do for Jumbo Joe. And I'm not trying to say that that mental aspect is something that's going to help them in a defensive situation or win a key face-off or help them in overtime. But just that extra little jolt this late into a year, you know, you've been training and playing competitive games since early September. You've had a game seven in the last rounds. You know, you're going to need something that gives you that extra little kick. 
And I think having Pavelski back and then playing for Joe Thornton like the Avalanche played for Ray Bork back in the day, that might be something that can help them mentally. Absolutely. I think one thing here that is huge is Vladimir Tarasenko only has five points in the playoffs. Granted, all five of them are goals, but he's not even in the top 50 in points. And this goes back to the beginning of the playoffs. You have Islanders ahead of him. Like, <laughs> no, but it's like. And he hasn't need, hit yet, yeah. Yeah, like you need your best players to be there. Kiel McCarr had more points currently in the playoffs than Vladimir Tarasenko does. Just let that sink are you, in. Are you ready for some Tarasenko stat nuggets right now? Oh, shoot them out, baby. He only has one goal at even strength, and it's an empty netter. Hmm. <laughs> All four, four out of his five goals were on a power play. It's not good. Um, I I do see some other people on here contribution wise. David Perron three goals, three assists. Uh, Bozak two goals, four assists. I think those two are going to be huge for you, like veteran leadership experience. Those two are going to be big, but Tarasenko needs to do something. Louis, yeah, St. Louis has to turn this into a, a two to one, one nothing every game series. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to keep up. I think. Yeah, and I I know I said St. Louis in seven, and I also said that my the other part of me says San Jose in seven. I think it all just kind of depends as to which way the series goes. If this becomes like a muck em up, grind it series, St. Louis has the advantage completely. If this turns into a wide open series, San Jose has the advantage. So it's like, I can't wait for the game tomorrow night just to see how it's going to start going. And I know at the same time, it's going to be one of those things where maybe whoever's the home team kind of can play their type of way. I don't know. I'm excited. This is going to be interesting (laughs) for sure. So... To answer my question, first I'll give my prediction, and then I'll give my, I guess, uh, unlikely hero outside of the more popular names. I'm going to go San Jose in six. six. Uh, Just because they have that momentum going. They have better offensive uh, talent, and I think... If Jones is able to play like he has been, that neutralizes Bennington a little bit. And the more the games get to 3-2, 4-3, whatever, or going to overtime, I think having that depth where at any single moment in the game, San Jose can turn a buck, puck over a transition and then score versus St. Louis, which really once you get to that third, fourth line, you're going to start struggling offensively. Um I think that's going to be the factor for me. So I'm going to go San Jose in six, and I'm going to go my unlikely or unsung hero will be Marcus Sorensen. I got a question for you. Who do you think... I'm trying to word this. Who do you think is the better coach slash who can rally his troops better? Because I see the boys being behind Baruby a lot more than they are DeBoer. But 
the part you said where I think the guys are actually rallying around Jumbo Joe makes it different. DeBoer has been to a Stanley Cup final before. Is he a better coach than Barubi? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, he has more years of head coaching experience, but in half a season, Barubi turned this team around into what we thought the team was going to be from the beginning of the year. Yeah. So, I don't know. And didn't, and didn't DeBoer take New Jersey to the Stanley Cup final, too? Yeah, that's true. So, he's been to two Cup finals. So, I think it's kind of different where the teams are at. I think... Well, if oh. he could bring Jersey there playing that awful style, I mean, <laughs> oh, that's all I'm saying. I'm just, I, I think at this very moment, Barubi is more of a rallying figure for St. Louis and DeBoer is for San Jose because... You just see after the coaching change what happened. So it wasn't that the team wasn't talented enough or whatever. It was the system and then the head coach, like that leadership role, wasn't being filled uh, for St. Louis. So I think in that aspect, he's more of a rallying guy. He's a more emotional guy than DeBoer. But DeBoer, I think, fits the mold of his team. Like if When you have a team of Tomas Hurdle, Kane, Joe Pavelski, Couture, Timo Meyer, Thornton, Sorensen, Carlson, Burns, Jones, who have been there, done that. They've been in the system uh, for several years now. They're homegrown, some of these guys. I think stepping to the back and letting these guys just, you know the system, you know your roles, you know what you're supposed to do, I trust you. I think that's where DeBoer is kind of shining because you haven't seen too many uh, benchings, line changes, outbursts from DeBoer, even when series were getting kind of hung up. And... I feel like San Jose rallies around that because of that familiarity they have with him. But I definitely think think uh, that Barubi is more of a rallying guy right now for St. Louis. All right, we'll see who who comes out on top: the old wily vet or the hoo hoo rah rah guy. We'll see. <laughs> All right, so moving to the East. I know because at NHL we missed Game One. Uh, we posted on our, I posted on a Facebook page what our predictions were just to get it on the record before the series started. I had Boston in five. You had Boston in six, which I'm shocked that you didn't go against the Bruins. Um, <laughs> give me your thoughts uh, on game one. Give me your thoughts on, I guess, the wrap-up of the Columbus series, if you have any on that, and kind of how you see the series going. Uh, well, thank God, A, that we ended that series at game six, because I didn't want to come back here. A hard-fought series. Uh, it sucked getting that McAvoy suspension. Definitely a headshot. It is what it is. I don't want to hear any Bruins fans bitching about that. It, he did get him in the chest, too, but he definitely hit him in the head. So, yeah, one game, as 2-5-10 and 10 had predicted before it came out, even though other people thought that it was just going to be a fine in the Boston media because of what they predict as to what a suspension would be in the regular season compared to a suspension in the postseason. Whatever, we got it right again. Suck on that. We're not even on a real radio station. <laughs> um, going into this series, I honestly don't know what to expect from Carolina. And I don't mean it in the sense of I haven't watched them play and I don't know hockey. I mean it in the sense of we went into the first round saying, I mean, Pittsburgh's going to steamroll these guys. Yeah, have a great series, XOXO. Um, Islanders, pff, Islanders are going to smoke these guys. That defensive scheme is in place. Yeah, have, here, how's that sweep taste? So, 
I, that's why I just don't know what to expect from these guys. Like, they're a bunch of jerks because I can't predict them. Going forward, I said the Bruins in six. I believe it. Um, game one, Carolina was the better team here. Like, Carolina comes out and they had a strong 35 minutes. They weathered the Bruins' first five minutes of that game where anyone who saw the first five minutes of that game could have turned the TV off and said, the Bruins are going to win 7 nothing because we were the, the storm surge, not to be hurricane or whatever. The, the surge was happening, but we were flying. We were all over them. They weathered that storm. Yet again, no pun intended, not trying to be funny. I'm funny all by myself. Don't need to be funny with this. Um, Carolina comes out. They win the rest of that first period, and then they win basically that second period. We come out. We get a couple of power plays right off the top. Bang, bang, bang. And we're able to push it off and steal a game. I honestly think we stole a game. We were able to regroup between the second and third period and come out and take that hockey game back from them. But they were the better team. With that, now going into game two, Charlie McAvoy back inserted into the lineup. I'm assuming Camper is going to come back out because he was the guy who was put into it. Um, I just think this Bruins team is too strong depth-wise for Carolina to compare with. Yet again, we said this in the first and second round. That's why I, I don't know what to expect. Brad Marchand leads the league in points, 15, 5 goals, 10 assists. Um, David Pasternak, 11 points. David Krejci, kind of a silent assassin, 11 points, 4 goals, 7 assists. Kind of where he makes his money, he's been known around the league for that, where he's a little bit quieter throughout the year, and then he comes on, turns it on strong. I think that first line's finally starting to click again. The reinsertion of David Backus changed that for us in that Columbus series. I think after the Which game Which we talked about night, here before they did it. Oh, suck on that. Um, I think another thing is David Backus has been very good for us when he's in the lineup one thing i noticed last night was we're in those last couple of games in columbus he kind of changed the tide for us he was not able to do it last night will bruce cassidy take him out and put coleman back in i don't know we won the game so maybe why mess with it if it's not broken but i think that'll be something to watch as if to the speed is too much for bacchus I would anticipate him coming back out, but he was really good in that Columbus series, did not have that good of a game last night. We'll see. I mean, there are so many factors here. Another thing factoring the other way is Peter Morazic last night towards the end, I think he gave up. I know this was his first game back in since the injury, and he definitely was playing good. Nice, beautiful kick save a couple of times. I think that leg's okay. It looked like he gave up towards the end there. And now asking you, if they come back in game two with McElhaney, do you think that's the right call, wrong call? What, what do you feel on that? I think they're going to give Morazic another shot at it just because I know McElhaney played in the last round due to Morazic's injury, but... And he play, He didn't play poorly. But once you go back to Morazic to start a new series, I think if you immediately pull him and then you go back to McElhaney in game two, 
you set, you set yourself up for some second guessing. And also, what happens if McElhaney plays poorly in game two? Now you have a situation where both goalies' confidence isn't really there. Do you go back to Morazic after he knows now that you're going to have trust in him for game two? Do you stick with McElhaney? Then McElhaney has a lot of pressure on him. So I think they go with Morazic for game two. I do think, especially that third goal that you guys scored, it was a really soft goal that Morazic gave up. Like you said, he's coming back from a kind of a long layoff this time of year due to the injury and a sweep uh, in the second round. But yeah, I think they go one more game with him and see what happens. The thing for me is, I don't know. They're not going to be able to win this series if it's a comes down to Morazic versus Tuka because Tuka's been playing out of his mind. Lights out. Uh, five on five in the playoffs so far. This is the Tuka of 2013 back again. Um, so I, I can't see that being a factor where Carolina's kind of, if they rely on a goaltending, that they're going to be able to pull a series out. The thing for me when it comes to why I think this will be a short series is not a, really a knock on Carolina. They're fantastic at puck possession. Uh, they've been getting contributions up and down the lineup offensively throughout the first two rounds. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Brendan Moore as a head coach in his first go around in the playoffs. But for me, it boils down to three things. Tukarask, the Bruins have been there, done that. This is basically a primer in their minds for once they get to the conference final, they probably looked at it as, all right, four wins till the cup. And that's not to say they're overlooking Carolina or think it's going to be easy, but it's just most of this team, at least the core part of this team, has done this for several years now. So I don't think the moment's too big for them. I think they're playing loose, especially at home. You know, they were down in game one and didn't phase them at all. The other aspect is if you're not going to be able to score at 5-on-5 five five against Tuca or you're going to have trouble scoring at 5-on-5 five five against Tuca, Boston's power play, when if it's going to come down to special teams, is elite. And in the playoffs uh, so far in the first two rounds, Carolina, the penalty kill is at 75%. So when you combine, combine those two things, I feel like if Boston can get the same goaltending they've been getting from Rask in this conference final, and then they can kind of make it chippy. So this is where Brad Marchand total line, but go ahead. Uh, you saw Sean Corrali uh, trying to rile things up a little bit last night. You have DeBrusque, even Chara. Try and draw some penalties because their power play is susceptible, and I just think the moment's not going to get to them. Carolina's going to be around for several more years. They're going to some of their young guys are going to develop even more, so I don't see them fading away after this like they did in 2009 uh, after the trip to the conference final. But I just think this is almost too easily scripted for Boston where they didn't have to face Tampa. They faced that Columbus team, and it was a tough series, hard-fought series. But once they came out of that, the light's at the end of the tunnel. The Stanley Cup is now only three wins away at the time of this recording. I just... This is a train that I think it's not going to be stopped until we get to the final. I have a question for you. With that being said, I agree with you completely. Do you think if Carolina wins this series, 
is this now a failure for the Boston Bruins? And it's like you said, they didn't have to play Tampa. They didn't have to play Washington. It, it was kind of give it to them on a platter. And I know there's going to be other people who say they have they weren't tested. They didn't play Tampa. They didn't play Washington. That That's not their fault. Those teams got knocked out. You, so you, you play know? who you have to play. Yeah, exactly. So with that, it's like I feel like we should beat Carolina. I do. And no disrespect to Carolina. I Like you said, I think Brendan Moore is a good coach. They have a very fast team, uh, very potent offense, terrifying in Ajo. I just feel like we said that our people have been there, done that. No disrespect. But if we don't make it to the Stanley Cup final right now, I mark this up as a loss. And oh, yeah. looking at it the other way, I mean – Playing St. Louis or San Jose is not going to be a cakewalk, but I feel like this series should be. For me, yeah. If because when Colorado lost Game Seven against San Jose, Nathan McKinnon even came out and said, "You know, seeing how the East kind of took shape after Tampa lost, Washington lost, Pittsburgh lost." They kind of looked at it as if we win tonight against San Jose, we have a really good chance of making and potentially winning the Stanley Cup. And that's the avalanche. If you're the Bruins, you have to have a, a similar mindset. I think it's human nature. So if there's that disappointment where they end up losing the series to Carolina, I think not only would the fans look at it this way, but the players would enter this summer with a lot of baggage of we just blew a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and that option doesn't come around very often, especially when you don't have to go through the Tampa-Washington-Pittsburgh trio, which you would probably have to do at least one of those teams next year if you make another run. Yeah, and I think that is going to be extremely difficult. I don't want to look at next year already. But the path that you took... I mean, Toronto was a tough series. Columbus was hard fought. I don't think this one's like that. As long as we talked about it before we came on the air, the Bruins have a problem of not being able to play a 60-minute hockey game. They'll play 40 minutes. They'll play 20 minutes. And when they're playing, it's a completely noticeable, I mean, anybody can see it. Like, wow, this is not the team that came out last period. Wow, this is th- this team's flying right now. And with that, it scares me because if you go behind, it's hard to dig out of a hole even when you're clicking like that. Yeah. But off of last night's game, if like you said, Tuka Rask is on his game and Carolina can't put pucks in the net, if we can come out and just score one, I think we can win every game 3-2, 2-1. Like, we can win one goal games. I think we can close them out. Yeah, I think you guys have a much better chance of winning games 2-1 to one or one nothing than Carolina does. I don't think they have the goaltending or the special teams to be able to pull out consistently low-scoring games in this series. Barring any injuries. Barring any yeah. injuries. Um, uh, although, you never know, my boy Warren Fogle, who I picked before the playoffs started as my unsung hero for Carolina... He could just pull a Superman and win the series, carrying the team on his back. What is it? He's five goals or six goals, ten points 
in a playoff so far, so I'm uh, very proud of that pick. Yeah, five and four for nine. Five goals, four assists, nine points. Um, one yeah, other so, random thing, I know he technically doesn't lead the league in it due to um, Curtis McElhinney. He has played two games, and his stats are just a little bit better. But Tuka Rask in these playoffs, in 14 games, nine wins, five losses, 938 save percentage, 202 goals against. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. Uncle Johnny hates it. He has been, after every series, I tag Uncle Johnny in something like, where's Uncle Johnny? <laughs> like, and he just goes crazy. I want Tuka to prove me wrong. Tuka this, Tuka that. And so far he has. And if Tuka can continue this and, you know, take this team to a Stanley Cup, I think all the other discussions we've had previously about him, I think you kind of have to throw him out the window. Yeah, especially if you go back to earlier in the season, our episodes where there was talk about... Trading him and buying him out. Yeah, I said it. Trading him (laughs) or do we go with Halak as the workhorse and see how far he takes us. And now we're in mid-May, early May, talking about two goods, lights out in the playoffs, and you guys could be uh, winning a championship in a couple weeks. It's yeah, and I mean how the tides change, and it's crazy. But at the time when we were saying it, Tuca sucked. He sucked at that point, and I know he took that leave of absence. And ever since he's come back from that, he's been a completely different player. So whatever the issue was, and I know there's rumors going around town. I'm not going to air them out here on this podcast because I wouldn't. If those were the rumors that I had going on my end in my family i would not want them aired out here yeah but um with that whatever the situation that was taken care of or fixed or whatever it may be he's played a lot better so through that if he can keep his head on straight which it seems he has ever since then i think he's a pretty good goalie and i will i'll say this just to kind of wrap up for me if it's san jose versus boston in a stanley cup yeah, we had the very obvious storyline of Joe Thornton trying to win his first Stanley Cup against a team that drafted him first overall and traded him away. Uh, guys like Char and Bergeron and Marchand trying to get their second Stanley Cups. Um, but for me, it would be a storyline of, I think for both teams, I'm not saying that either of these teams are going to fall off. That's not what I'm trying to say. But this could be the last shot to win a Stanley Cup with as easy of a path as both of these teams would have taken to get to the Stanley Cup final with both of these teams' cores. Like we already discussed, Boston avoided Pittsburgh, Washington, Tampa. Uh, I don't think they're able to eliminate Toronto in a seven-game series. I think Toronto's going to be there for years to come. San Jose's side of things, they avoided Calgary, which they're a goaltender away from, I think, being in a conference final themselves. Colorado's on the upswing. Dallas, you saw Winnipeg. Nashville's going to be retooling this summer. Chicago's on their way back up. So you never know uh, how things are going to shake out in San Jose. So I think that's the main storyline if it ends up being San Jose-Boston that whoever loses that final might be beating themselves up because it's not going to get... It's not going to be as easy to get back to where they were. Yeah. I don't want to say last chance, but in essence it is because... Like you said, 
I could almost pencil in every year now for the next four years, Boston, Toronto in the first round. If it if this playoff <laughs> matchup stays the way it is. So yeah. I think it's definitely gonna be interesting to see who comes out of the West. I think we can both agree on Boston and the East rather easily. Yeah, and I'll, I want to get into this more in our next recording, which may not be for a little over a week uh, instead of recording today, which is a Friday, and then recording again on Monday and only have like one or two games to discuss, uh, which is to kind of fill in some airtime. I still want to talk about Columbus's upcoming summer and not specifically go into details about free agency and trades and everything, but just kind of the decisions where come September, they could either be legitimate like okay they're playoff tested they got the monkey off their back winning their first playoff series and they're ready to go or they're barren a lot of guys left they had to make some trades unfortunately uh rumors of john davidson going back to new york to be the team president things like that so that's definitely something i'd want to get into in next episode i'm game for that because i'm with you 100 percent. there's a whole lot of different scenarios that can play out in duchene Panarin, Bobrovsky, Zingle. Yeah. It could look a lot different next year. Oh, I also got one more thing for you. Mm-hmm. Just uh, tosses out there. Everybody's assuming Thornton's going to retire after this year, if, especially if they win the Stanley Cup. Let's say San Jose either loses to the Blues or loses in the Stanley Cup, but Joe doesn't want to retire. Well, San Jose, they're at a point where their salary cap situation kind of makes it difficult, and plus they probably want to get younger. You know, Boston always needs a third-line center. That would... I mean, I know we have uh, Charlie Coyle there now, but who's to say that you don't bring Jumbo Joe in to play a wing? So he doesn't have to skate as much, doesn't have to back-check as hard. He can want take, a power play. He can take draws. You know, I'm a disher. I'm a disher. You know, he can dish it. Out on the that ending his career. One last one-year deal back in Boston. But we'll get into that this summer after we see what happens with the Stanley Cup. But, yeah, so just to wrap up, you got St. Louis-Boston in the Stanley Cup final, which would be, I think, a rematch of the Stanley Cup with Bobby Orr when he got that yeah. uh, game-winning Stanley Santa Cup goal. Santa to Orr! Scott! Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I have San Jose versus Boston, which would be the whole storyline we just discussed. So definitely going to be a fun next week, week and a half. Yeah, man, I'm excited. It's it's definitely going to be a different style of hockey. I know we went from 16 teams. Now we're down to four. This is the grind, man. This is where people end up earning paychecks for next year. So excited, nervous, all the above. Check them off on the box. What do you got for shout-outs this week? Shout-outs this week. A very big and happy Mother's Day shout-out to Big Red. Um, you are phenomenal for, A, this family, for, B, the kids, for me. Uh, seeing all the things that you do with them is great. It's reassuring. I am a 1,000% right. I made the right decision for a significant other and be a mother to my children. Like, yeah, you just reassure me every day. So thank you for that. Big shout out to big red. I mean, I'm right here. I can hear that you chose somebody else over me. 
It's not Father's Day yet, Penny. I only call, <laughs> I, I, I only call you Daddy in different ways. So. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, shout-outs for me. Uh, yeah, give a shout-out to Red, helping out. Uh, taking on some of the load over the last 34 weeks as we're getting this podcast going, get it into a consistent rhythm, some early recordings, some late recordings. So even off to the side and periphery, her flexibility with uh, helping out being a mom with the, with the kids has helped this podcast. So shout out to Big Rod on that. And of course, shout out to the First Lady. And shout out to Mama Dukes, Mama Stewart, uh, listener. Uh, you know, same old. I'm not going to get old mushy and everything else uh, with mom, but happy Mother's Day. I don't horrify her weekly with A, my accent, and B, my uh, choice words for language, do I? Because if so, I can try to clean it up a little bit. I mean, she grew, I grew, she spent 13 years of her life watching me play hockey and just cursing at referees and coaches and players. So I don't think anything you say is going to offend her. She's just happy that we're still close after all these years. <laughs> Does, uh, were you like her wild card child? Like she would see you out there and be like, why'd we go for the last one for? Like... <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm the youngest of nine. Um, I was not the wild child. I have some crazy ass stories from my older brothers and sisters. I was the quiet one, but there was a point in time where my parents were like, Ben, if you don't calm the fuck down, we might have to send you to like boarding school or some shit. <laughs> did they, did they like threaten you? Like you were a puppy? Like, Dude, if, if, like if you keep this up, we're gonna have to clip your nuts. So hopefully you chill out. <laughs> My dad actually pulled me to the side after hockey practice one night. He's like, "Ben, get your shit together, otherwise you're going to boarding school." Like that's the last thing I'm gonna say. Get it together. I don't know if they would threaten me with that. They would like, just send you. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't give me the choice. <laughs> like it'd be one of those where I'd wake up, I'd. Oh, Saturday morning, I'm like, hey, where the fuck is my clothes in my beer? Where's this? I'm like, guess what, motherfucker? Guess where you are going? Like, did it again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so happy Mother's Day to any mothers that are listening as well. Yes, we, we appreciate the listen, mothers. Um, We're excited about the up and coming, what's coming up these next couple of weeks regarding the Stanley Cup playoffs what we have planned for you guys on the other end for over the summer. We already starting to line up some interviews. We're excited. We hope you're excited. We appreciate the listen every week. I mean, no other way to end it, baby.
writer, I'm a writer for myself and others. I say a big verse, I'm only big enough, my brother. Big enough, my barrel. I'm big enough to do it. I'm that barrel. Plus, I know my own flow is foolish. So the rings and things you think about, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the barrel's in your mouth. I'm in new sneakers, new seaters, few divas. What more can I tell you? Let me spell it for you. W-I-L-L-I-E. Nobody truer than H-O-V. Ambassador, Prime Minister, back to finish my business up.